We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner Impossible. Coming up, the latest episode of the KCSN Draft Show. It's the season finale of the KCSN Draft Show with myself, Maddie Lane, and Eric Galco. Eric, I got to congratulate you on a successful draft. Like, this was the most drafted players in 20 years or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, we had a good draft for the Shrine Bowl. I'm really happy for our guys. Most most players drafted in Shrine Bowl in at least 20 years. Seven top 100 picks. Two of the top senior quarterbacks drafted. Nate O'Connell and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Our guys, Zay Flowers, of course, went first round. So it was super successful and something to build off for the future. We're uh, we're going to talk about Zay Flowers a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, Maddie, yeah, right. Maddie, have you recovered? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I didn't get home until like 3 a.m. with some flight delays and I lost a bag on the way. So it took me a day, but I'm, I'm back. I'm ready to go. I'm sad. It's the season finale. I mean, we're about ready to put, you know, a pin in the, in this 2023 draft. And I guess, well, I guess next week we can start working on 2024. Yep. There we go. That's, that's how we're going to get things going. Uh, Galco, we did like 19 hours of live coverage and things went unhinged in day three. Uh, if you're, Best if, you're if you're bored at some point. Uh, I'm sure with all your go watch time. all 19 hours because you have nothing else to do. We raised like we raised like a thousand dollars in five minutes to get Tucker to chug a seltzer, and everybody else had to do it as well. It was great. I have a question for you guys for live stream. Who was the first player that got drafted that you didn't have anything for? Oh, probably someone in someone probably someone in. I bet it was late. Seven. Yeah, we were we we were pretty on it. No, uh, I think there was a one or two earlier on day three when things were starting to get unhinged, and Kent yep. and we all had nothing to say, and Kent just started reading whatever the broadcast was putting up there. Like this is a yeah. player from this school. Yeah, it happened earlier than we expected, yeah. but it's just you know day three got a little crazy there. For a no, it did. It was one of the one, I said, and not like you guys aren't prepared in that. Like that was there were more guys on day three drafted. I think it was seven guys that were seniors didn't play in an all-star game that weren't drafted um 15 non-combine guys were not draft were not were drafted from the shrine bowl but a lot of non-combine guys were drafted it's one of the crazier um least predictable drafts in terms of day three guys i can imagine day one to round like round one through round four was kind of what i expected in terms of guys and then round five six especially six seven was one of the more surprising ones i've ever seen so I don't think we had a ton to say about one of your guys colby soars dot william and mary except for you went to the shrine bowl so now, I so I mean, we had to be good. That's it. It's so like yeah, it's like it was like a, a guy like him. Uh, 
I mean, when the kick when the kickers and punters are carrying off the board, that got a little difficult too. Hey, look, top one hundred pick, man. Yeah, <laughs> never a doubt. To be honest, I thought I'd probably lasted that long. I thought the I thought the Lions were going to take him, and in fact, they took Hendon Hooker in the third round, right? Yeah, I bet if they didn't take Hendon, they either would have Jake Moody or traded back and taken Jake because he's from Michigan. He wanted to play in Detroit. Not Rooney sauce there. Um, not like was dying to, but like he would have loved to stay in Michigan. And uh, they took Hennon Hooker, good pick, over a kicker. But uh, I love, by the way, Shanahan just like admitting, you see his quote about how, yes, you know, all my friends gave me shit for taking them. And if they took a kicker, I'd give them shit too. Like that was great. But Jake's special, man. And when you're a team like the Niners, just like the Chiefs are too, like it's cheesy. Special teams honestly don't matter when you're not a great team. When you are a great team, you got Jake Moody. Like that could be the difference between the NFC Championship game and the, and the Super Bowl is, is Jake Moody. All right, so like kind of a run pick on oh, my, my favorite yeah. one we did have something to say about, but um, it wasn't good. Was uh, Sean Clifford going in the fifth round? That was a good time. That was the one that caught me off guard. We don't need you don't need yeah. Matty's reaction yeah. when Sean Clifford got oh, drafted. Yeah. He just I I saw it happen, and then I saw Matty's reaction. He just sat there like in awe for a minute. Uh, maybe my surprise. I could make you say anything on that one, Galco. Um, okay, so this draft, like, we're looking at it a little bit from a cheese perspective, and it just felt like the first 20 picks went about as good as they possibly could for the Chiefs. You're looking at, you know, j- two running backs going in the top 12, Will McDonald off the board, uh, Kalijah Cansey off the board, you know, some guys that may not have been, like, the perfect, you know, traditional fits for the Chiefs. Uh, and you know, and running backs period going off the board. Then the run on receiver happens just right after that. Yeah. Just right after that. I'm happy for your guys, Zay Flowers, uh, of the you know, East West Shrine Bowl guy going in the first round. Like that's so big. It didn't feel like the Chiefs were in a realistic spot to be able to trade up for one of those guys or trade up for Zay. Yeah, I didn't feel like it, and it felt like once once all the receivers were there at 20, and it felt like in hindsight the Bucks were really happy Cansey was there. And at 18, the Lions were going to beat at their own run no matter what. So you kind of didn't have a spot to trade up into, right? 18 was going to be a no. 19, the Bucks were happy the guy was there. And then the run on receivers happens, and the Seahawks were didn't want to trade that pick either. I was a little surprised by the order. I thought it might have gone JSN or Zay first, um, Quinton being the third or fourth, but the Chargers like those big body receivers, and he went there at 21 too. But that receiver run was not surprising. And, and I can say this now, like those teams from 20, 21, 22, 23 had all talked to me either at the Shrine Bowl or Post about Zay. And I knew they were all A, in the market for a receiver, and B, had interest in him as well too. So that run happening then was not surprising. That being the first time the receiver was taken was definitely surprising to me too. But I think all four guys, I think I'm biased. I think Zay's in the best spot to have a huge, huge year. Quinn's got some competition. So does Seattle uh, and JSN. I think Jordan Madison, probably next to Zay, is the best opportunity to get a lot of st- a lot of stat staff, a lot of stars, a lot of different roles. But I'm definitely happy where uh, where Zay was gone and ended up going to Baltimore because I think he'll be their receiver one by midseason, if not sooner. And that's what I was trying to warn about when we did the live stream is it was looking great for the Chiefs at pick 20. I mean, can't get a test. I was sitting there like, yeah, but there's still a very realistic chance that all these guys, and this includes the wide receiver run that translated directly into a defensive line run. Like there's a chance that all these guys that we've been talking about hoping might fall to the Chiefs still go, despite the fact that there's eight names on the board that Chiefs fans are all clamoring for this whole time. So yeah, 
the wide receiver run kicking it off, it was rough. Um, hearing Brett Veach go up and just talk about the process, about how they were, I guess the process that led to them not being able to trade up, you know, ahead of this run. So that 18 range was being too expensive. Then the team's kind of in that 20, 21, 2, 3 range. Didn't really want to trade out because they probably wanted the wide receivers as that run was happening. It, it was it was disappointing to see that because I do think the Chiefs really were interested in trying to get up there for one of those guys. I just, I don't think it was ever meant to be where that run happened. And I guess that was kind of foreseeable going into it, even though I don't think any of us thought it was going to be all four in a row right there. Yeah, I think a lot of, it kind of reported sense with, with team time trading back in round one. But I think the Jaguars played it really well, turning down two times and still getting a guy that Anton Harrison, they definitely needed with Cam Robinson suspension. But the Bills, the Giants want to make sure they got their guy. Banks was a guy that I'm sure like the Giants, I was very surprised was still there. He just kind of fell because he didn't go on the teens, 18, 19, didn't need a corner. And then the receiver run happens and the Giants are like, holy cow, this guy's still there. And then the team, you know, Bills trap for Dalton Kincaid. The Cowboys want to stay put and get their guy in Mozzie Smith. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to trade up at that point too. So I think for Chiefs, it was, I feel like this was close to one of the scenarios I presented a week ago or two weeks ago now is this opportunity of who's here still with Mozzie Smith yeah. Felix, and maybe Quentin Johnson. And I yeah. end up being just Felix that was there, but, um, but certainly it was, it was not a surprising back end of round one in terms of who went. I think just the order was surprising for sure. Yeah. And it, I don't blame the Chiefs for going and taking a swing on a premium position either. Yeah. Uh, we in a draft like this, like, you know, I, I think when we were on the live stream, Michael Mayer was very tempting there. Yeah. Um very tempting there for, for all of us. In fact, it looked like Chiefs tight end coach Tom Melvin had his head hands above his head, just kind of, you know, <laughs> five in <laughs> as as the as the card was getting turned in. Um but they they go and get the they go get a edge rusher a KC kid, who had all kinds of crazy productivity at, in the Big Twelve, <laughs> night at nineteen and twenty years old, turned twenty one just a couple months ago. Brett Veach continues to talk about that, and now you drop Felix Anudike Uzama into a room with great leadership, and Joe Cullen. Uh it feels like a great situation to develop a young pass rusher. Uh, that that the arrow is still pointing up on. Yeah, I think arrow pointing up is really important because I think I know that a lot of times and evaluators in the NFL and outside of it, we kind of forget what upside really means. And it means like room to get better and a reason to expect that. And age plays a role in that sometimes, right? Not all the time, but usually guys that have been in college a bit longer, they've had a chance to develop. I always tell our staff, are you is he underdeveloped or is he raw? Meaning, did he have a chance to develop that he never really did? Or does he have a reason not to be developed? AK, he's young, he hasn't played a whole lot, different scheme, new position, whatever. And that's why the arrow's pointing up. But I think for Felix, he's had a good mix of, he's gotten some refinement, but there's still so much untapped potential for him too. And we said before he jumped on here, Felix feels like a guy that for a playoff team, he's got a high enough floor that, hey, worst case, he's going to be your third defensive end edge rusher who's going to be a guy that can really build your unit. And best case, he's your guy 10 years from now, still putting up 10 sack a season because he's so young. So it felt like a very smart playoff pick. It's a bit of a luxury because he could be an upside guy, but I think at the very least, he's going to be in their rotation when they're deep in a playoff run. He's not going to hurt you. And I think that's, and one of the biggest keys here is it came out about the Jets who had taken Will McDonald earlier in the draft. Like one of the parts of the phone call that, you know, got picked up by media was just talking, Robert Sala talking about how they're going to get him, get Will McDonald out of that four eye spot and get him aligned wide. And they just, you know, you have to envision that that was part of what the Chiefs are thinking here, too, when they're looking at Felix. It's like, hey, 
you know, you're 255 pounds and you bulked up to 255 pounds. There's not a lot of room on your frame for any more weight. Maybe we get you out from in between the tackle and the guard or head up on the tackle and let you get out wide. Use your athleticism. Use some of that ankle flexion and bend that you have to run the corner. So there's not even just beyond like him developing his hands or his own skill, just aligning him in a way that better suits the skills he does have could, you know, also lead almost immediately to an improved just the way his game looks. I do, I do think, and we kind of went back and watched him. Not that his floor is low or anything like that, just some of his balance issues. Like he spends a lot of time on the ground, and I do think that's something that Chiefs will have to work on. And I don't know, some of it might be just playing a little too fast, but I just noticed he's on the ground quite a bit. And I think that's something they're going to focus on trying to fix. That's about the the biggest knock you have for like early playing time, which is not being able to stay on your feet if you're him. So uh, before we get too far down the list of these of these Chiefs draft picks, it feels like the theme for us. You you see the athletic testing that the vast majority of this group is, and even Keandre Coburn's an above average nose tackle. It felt like this was kind of a uh, a swing in a, you know, a draft, a swing to, you know, to take some high ceiling guys or some more high ceiling to try to continue to raise the ceiling of this football team. Um, you know, that we've seen them kind of make some, I would say, you know, have some really solid, safer selections in recent memory. It feels like this, this theme this year might have been a little bit more swing on on ceiling. Do you agree, disagree? What do you think? Like I know you just got done talking about Felix and Gaze's almost floor, but at the same time, I still think there's there's plenty of swing for ceiling here. No, I think so too. And I think a lot of it when you're a team like the Chiefs and you're in a I mean, you're in a great spot, just like the Eagles too, like you have needs, but your team just won the Super Bowl. You don't have that many right? You're kind of in a good spot. So you can kind of draft for luxury and it's either, hey, do you try to poke and fill needs in this draft? And the Chiefs definitely could have just filled needs here. They could have won a safe offensive lineman around one and, you know, a reliable receiver around two. And they kind of just, you know, could have been a bit safer as well too. But it's not about upside or or being safe. I and the Chiefs, from my point of view, just wanted to add more athletes. And sometimes it's like, you know what? You don't want to have just a bunch of safe, reliable, stiff guys out there. I think all the guys they draft that are really good athletes, whether it's Wanya, whether it's BJ Thompson, the guys we'll talk about later, you know, undrafted free agents they got as well too. I think all of these guys had enough of a floor that they're like, hey, you know what? At the very least, we're going to have some really good athletes in practice to practice against. And these guys may not be ready to go in year one, but if we have to play them, we can at least make some stuff happen because they're so athletic. That's what it felt like this draft really was. It wasn't about being upside looking for the future i think it's more about you know what maybe we're getting a little bit not athletic enough in our building and let's try to put some athletes out here positions that we kind of need and see these guys hit so again i don't think any of their draft picks in the top you know throughout the draft are guys that i expect to be out of the league in a year and a half there were no true dart throws but i think a lot of these guys showed the chiefs just want to get more athletic at a bunch of positions Hmm. well that's a that's a that's a trend that the Chiefs have been going down the past few, almost every year that since Brett yeah. Beach has taken over. The RAS, the average RAS score, the average relative athletic score for the draft classes have been going up, up, and up. And this yeah. one, you know, even though they got a nose tackle in there, this is going to bring it down. It still was his highest one as of yet because of all the athletes they took, you know, through the first six, five, six rounds of this draft. So let's, uh, well, I want to talk to you about day two real quick, but we're going to take a break. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. If you're watching, appreciate everybody hanging out. Uh, that all helps us grow the channel. Galco, Wanye Morris or Rashi Rice? Which one was your favorite pick for day two for the Chiefs? I, I love Wanya, and I think Wanya is such a good fit for what they have. I think, A, he's a really good athlete. He's played right tackle, and I think he is um, – Probably the way the Chiefs draft them, but I think he's almost like a hedge against Lucas Niang. That if Niang's the right tackle of the future, cool. Wanya's played left and right in his college career and high school career. He could probably figure out both. And you got a really good swing tackle at both sides. But if Lucas maybe isn't your guy long term, Wanya's a guy that has enough upside you can develop too. And I don't think there's any rush to really play Wanya right away unless Lucas struggles, which again, I, when all I've been told, they feel somewhat confident Lucas is going to be the right tackle all season long and play well. So I love the Wanya Morris pick. I think whenever you can draft a luxury offensive tackle in some ways, it's hard to beat that. The Eagles have always done that, right? The Eagles want to draft Paris Johnson at you know in the, in the top 10 because they think that tackle position is so important. You could have played right guard or start and then back out the tackle at some point. So it's a position that you really, if you want to pick a spot that you want to have too many guys and too much talent, it's always the offensive line. I think Wanya was a pick I liked. I like the Rasheed Rice pick. I think they obviously have a good role for him, but um, I thought Wanya was a slam dunk top under pick, a guy I thought they might have taken no matter what. But him in the third round, for I think a lot of teams were looking for him to be a guy, and I'm glad the Chiefs got a chance to get him. So real, real quick, Dago, do you about Rasheed Rice? Do you find it yeah. interesting that we heard or it was visible that Quentin Johnston and Zay Flowers were visibly uh, or reported to be working out with the with Patrick Mahomes, but Rasheed Rice, we didn't hear a single thing about. Do you think that? Do you find that interesting at all? I don't. I I think that I think that Zay and Quentin were guys that, whether it's Quentin because of happenstance he was in the area and Zay got a text from Mahomes, and I don't think those things were unrelated to the Chiefs and and what they wanted to do. But I do think that they hey, if either one of those guys were available, well, let's say twenty four, the Chiefs may have been more aggressive in going to get those guys, whereas. When you got to really date two of the draft and, and knowing some, you know, knowing where some receiver rankings around the league, it, it was pretty split. And I was really surprised. And I would say, hey, I'm surprised you have this guy here all the way up at day two. You know, I have him here. Another team has him down here, right? And I think Rasheed was one of those guys that was split. But so was Cedric Kilman, who I think is an awesome player. Teams were split on him as well, too. So I think Rasheed is a guy that I'll defer to the Chiefs and why they kind of felt he was the best fit for their offense. But no doubt he was a guy that was going to go on the top four rounds for sure. And some teams like him as much as the Chiefs did. So. Um, I'll defer to to Brett and that staff. They've done a good job evaluating receivers 
in via trade. Uh, I think Sky Moore is going to be a hit, and they've made the most of this receiver unit, and I think they're going to hopefully expect that Rasheed Rice ends up being maybe their wide receiver one by the end of the season, if not next year, because they kind of need him to be at some point. Yeah, and so like for me, he was he was not you know my top wide receiver that was left on the board. So when the Chiefs traded up initially, I was I, I was very surprised and you know a little not like upset, but a little just like off put. Like this is an interesting pick here, just because they he doesn't do I guess like this safe translatable stuff to the NFL. It's hard for guys that win a bunch of contested catches and by being overly physical in college to translate directly into the NFL. And when the guys do, it's six foot four, two hundred twenty pound guys most of the time. So Rice being a little bit smaller and winning with, you know, just the ability to leap and the body control and great hands. Like now that there's not skills there that are attractive or make him a good prospect, it's just, it's a little bit narrow of a winning margin. But when you go back and watch, like you can very clearly see the path to success. And then you listen to the Chiefs talk about them. And as long as you're not thinking they're lying to you, you see the path, you see how they think it's going to work. And it starts to make sense. You know, Juju, I think once Marquez, oh, sorry. go ahead. No, you said one thing about Rashid too, and it, it kind of compares. A little bit to why I, I I felt so so damn confident in Zay Flowers is Rasheed in that offense. He was the guy, and defenses knew he was going to be the guy, and he still put up yards. And he was getting double teamed often. I think like Zay, he probably learned a lot from that year, just in terms of like this is frustrating. I'm getting double teamed, but I'm going to keep fighting through it because my team needs me to have 200 yards this game or whatever. I think that's probably something to to be appreciated. I've told teams about Zay. I think Zay's already gone through NFL rookie season in terms of the adaptation just because Zay had to get through double teams all the time in college. I think it's also true a little bit for Rasheed is that he's already had to experience a lot of focus by offenses. Even as I'm looking on film sometimes, like it, it there's still the the safety that looks like he's going to double on Rasheed and then doesn't. Rasheed's got to adjust his route in that offense. And it's just, it's a little more intense than that too. I think Rasheed gets, should get a lot of credit for, for that overcoming injury and and much more. So I I think Rasheed is, again, people disagree in this pick too. I know some teams had questions about Rasheed's character, and I I did our homework on that. I go close to Rasheed. I don't have any really concerns about who he is as a person. I think he's going to be a fine NFL player. And I think that's also why some teams were a little bit lower on him. But no matter what, I, I think he's got a chance to kind of adapt quickly in the NFL because of that. I, I don't disagree with you that his skill set leans itself to having, you know, hey, he's got to kind of learn some new traits besides the one he already has to be successful. But um, I think he's going to be able to adapt and at least contribute pretty early on in his NFL career after what he went through this past season. Well, yeah, dealing with all that attention on, on the turf toe, because I mean, you go back and watch him and you see, uh, you know, maybe he could run fine for two or three plays, but then he is just straight limping all the way back to the huddle and they still have to go trot him out there and have him run around. And if it's, you know, third and long or anything, the ball probably has to come his direction because there's not a lot of other guys out there. And it's like, yeah, it there was impressive to see what he worked through. There was a lot of attention. So you certainly get why why the picks there. You certainly get how a team is high on them. And it's good to hear that, you know, when you guys were doing your background, there wasn't anything there because I do know that there's some anonymous quotes out there saying you know, otherwise and not nobody substantiated any, anything like that. So that, that's good to hear. Galco, some are saying the Chiefs had the best day three of about any team in the NFL uh, because they grabbed three Shrine Bowlers. I think that's at least what you told me to say, right? <laughs> Beginning of the show. This is how we get him back for another year later. <laughs> no, like, and this is why I'm so excited to talk to you because you are uniquely positioned to talk to us about these guys uh, that the Chiefs grabbed. And uh, we'll stop. Shamari Connor will give him his flowers. We spent a lot of time talking yeah. about Shamari Connor, but, you know, great athletic profile, versatility, special teams value. 
but I do want to focus because we've got a lot of Shrine Bowl guys that we want to run through yeah. because, yeah, you're uniquely positioned to talk about it. DJ I, I, Tom, Shemari, real quick, real quick, okay. on Shamari, get his get, fl- get his flowers in there a little bit too. I think he's a really, really good special teams player, and that sounds like it's like a slight almost. It's not. I think he's going to be their best special teams player, no matter what. And he's one of about three or four guys in the whole draft that have a special like special teams grade. That's going to be one of the guys too. So. It's almost like kicker, punter, long snapper, special teams ace. Like he's one of four or five guys in this draft that I know from teams. And, you know, we, these guys we talked about last year, where he almost came out of last year from Virginia Tech. Like he's that kind of special, special teams guy too. So that sounds small. But again, Jake Moody is a guy that special teams matter when you're a Super Bowl every team. I think for Tamara Connor, if he makes one good tackle on a punt return in the NS- AFC Championship game, he was worth a fourth round pick that helps you get there too. So he's a good player. Well, and I'll, I'll just say this is about the range that the Chiefs kind of start making some of these special teams specific picks for Dave Tobe, you know, uh, or, you know, Daniel at top 100, Armani Watts, 120, you know, this is kind of that range where they've been able to identify special teams players. Maybe there's some influence there. I do think Shamari Connor can help on the defensive side of the ball. And Steve Spagnuolo seemed hyped to get him on the call that they had. But let's talk about everywhere. That's what they care about. That's what they care about. He played like every position possible on the back end. And then Dave Tobe's going to pound the table for him. So there you go. B.J. Thompson's a little bit on the lighter side for the Chiefs' preferences, which was always something very interesting to see. Um, but they grab him at pick 166, and it is, I mean, this is a fun, freaky, athletic profile to be getting getting this late in the draft. He was one we were all quite excited to get, Galco. So what what's the weight that, that the Chiefs kind of value their edge rushers at? So typically 260-ish uh, is yes. not that. I mean, even the lightest guy, the lightest guy to play significant snaps in a season, you know, like above like 35% has been above 250. So that's, that's, I I would say this. I, 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 we did a lot of homework on BJ and he's a guy we knew about for the last two years. He's a guy, I think it was, I think it was this year against Austin P like week one. He had like three awesome rushes and like the first 10 snaps. I'm like, holy, this guy's a guy. Um, I think holding on BJ one, he started out last season at 217. He ended the year at about 220. At the Shrine Bowl, got to like 239. And at Pro Day, he was about 240-ish, I think. But his Pro Day numbers, which I'm sure you guys saw, were unbelievable. It's also important to know that he, the night before in the morning of, had a vicious stomach bug and like didn't eat breakfast, couldn't hold anything down. And he still was able to put up freaky numbers as an edge rusher. He put down numbers that, like, you look at the freaks list with Bruce Feldman, it was like yeah. a couple numbers below what Feldman had. And it's like, this guy clearly wasn't at his best, too. So he was still one of the best testing edge rushers, still one of the highest RASs despite that. But the big thing for BJ is, A, the weight is something that he's worked really hard on. He told me, he's like, Mr. Mr. Eric, he's like, I can get to 235 for the Shrine Bowl, I promise. And I'm like, all right, man, let's see it. And he got to 239 at the Shrine Bowl, and he got added weight more since then, too. So he's a guy that I think just needed the right weight program. I would not be surprised at all if I was rookie year. He's at 245, 250. Seriously, he can hold that weight, especially in his lower half. And I think BJ, you know, he's a little bit older of a player, but he's very clearly late to figuring out how to be a great pass rusher. He was a good recruit at Baylor, went to Stephen F. Austin. I don't think he developed too, too much then to his own fault or wherever, but the last year and a half, he's gotten so much better. And I think it's the counter rush moves that's there. It's the improved motor and knowing what to do and it's able to come back inside. A couple of the athletic ability you know, the ceiling is is, is obviously very high athletically. He could be a little bit high at times of rush. We'll see if he can fix that. But 
I think at the very least, he's a guy that he'll be a rotational rusher and play a couple different spots for for you guys. Because I think he can even, you know, in some passing outs, put his hand in the dirt a little bit and get upfield. He can work in space a little bit too, but there's a lot of room to improve. And again, I can't say enough. He is an awesome personality, super happy kid. He's definitely fired to be in Kansas City. I talked to him the other day, and I think he's going to be a guy that you'll love in the locker room, that they're going to make sure he's on the roster and playing a role by the end of his rookie year. And, and yeah, he definitely has the frame to to keep adding yeah. weight. And it's one of those things coming from a you know coming from a smaller school and no slight to Stephen F. Austin, but like how much how much can they help a guy that probably does struggle to put on weight a little bit really put it on? And like now it's going to go from you know he's playing a sport while in school to now it's just a full time job. So like there's a frame there. There's going to be plenty of opportunity, and I think he will definitely add some weight. Now is he going to touch two sixty like we're talking about like the guys that Steve Spagnuolo has gone for in the past? Probably not, but. Just the fact that I do think there is more space in there for some weight and getting up near 250 or into the 250s at six foot six with the explosive testing. I mean, it's all there. Uh, you said you know, stomach bug that morning, I and mean, he still weighed in over 240, right? So we're still yeah. on a clear upward trajectory all off season. And I do want to clarify one thing. I know there's a website out there if you just Google uh, BJ Thompson that says he's 26 years old. I do believe he's only 24. Not 26, yes. so don't get, yeah. so yes, let's not, uh, so there is one out there that does that. I know some Chiefs fans have brought that up and, you know, panicked a little bit over, no, 24 years old, not 26. I just want to make sure that's out there. Uh, Joe Colon seemed quite excited and quite intentional about getting EJ Thompson, <laughs> too. If you listen to the call, he said, hey, I told you I was getting you and, and all this stuff. And He has uh, used a lot of guys of that size. Colin yes, he has. Another thing is uh, Jason Lamb, one of the scouts for the Chiefs, also indicated that they do think that, you know, that he can put on 20 pounds, which, yeah. I mean, that'd be a lot. But, I mean, that would, you know. But I'm excited to see him. We're going to take one more break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to KC Sports Network. We'll be right back after this. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right, Galco. I we yeah. joked you should go back and listen to uh you should go back and listen to our unhinged live stream on day three. But the one of the more rational things that we were doing the entire stream was right before every pick, clamoring for Keandre Coburn to be a Kansas City Chief. Uh we got to interview we got to interview BJ Thompson uh at the Shrine Bowl. We also got to at, we also got to interview Keandre Coburn. So we had interviews with both of those players ready, like the first exclusive interviews in Kansas City with both of those players as it was happening, which was pretty awesome. But the Keandre Coburn was one of our favorite interviews. Yeah. And it was kind of weird because it felt like there was kind of a early run on the nose tackles at the end of round three. And there really wasn't a ton that kind of went in the round four, round five. And the Chiefs go and secure Keandre Coburn at pick 194. It's like you missed out on the first run of them. But, boy, I think they played the board perfectly to be able to get a guy like this in round six. The last two years I've seen, and we had a guy last year at the Shrine Bowl, Mark Juan McCall, um, what I thought was an awesome nose tackle as well. And he went undrafted and up starting games to the Panthers. You know our Mark Juan McCall, McCall I, story, right? Yeah, you've told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So, but he's he's uh, nose tackles are a position that's kind of hard to predict in the draft. That I think you those guys it, it's maybe one step removed from specialists, and that not every team needs a big nose tackle like that. So they kind of go basically where a team says, "Screw, we'll take this kind of guy." But you know, Kil- Colburn's a guy that I think you know seven years ago when teams value nose tackles more than they do would have been easily a top hundred pick. Um, he's a great mover. 
Um, he can be very physical with his hands. He can win the run game for sure. He has no problems taking on double teams all game long, which I think is something that's very underappreciated about nose tackles, that that gets really boring sometimes to constantly be losing a rep and constantly fighting an uphill battle, and that's not Keandre's problem. Um, and I think he's also showing from the Shrine Bowl a little bit. I think I posted a clip on Twitter. That pass rush is kind of coming together. And when you're that big of a nose tackle, if you can just have a decent motor tag on double teams and not get exhausted, not get frustrated, if you can make a play in the run game when you're kind of a little bit one-on-one and have a chance to extend your arm a little bit, and then you have a, just a little bit of pass rush juice to affect that A-gap, I mean, that's a really dominating nose tackle. Like, those things all are like small little pieces. And if you have all three of those in a game or a season, that's what Vita Vea does, right? That's what BJ Raji did, right? And I think it's hard to find. I think Coburn has the ability to get to that level. So, and like BJ Thompson, like Felix, we said before too, like he doesn't have to be a starter this year for him to make an impact and be a good draft pick. So I think for the Chiefs, they've got a nose tackle who can kind of play off both the guys they have this year as needed to do. But I think long-term, he's going to make the linebacker's job and the DN's job a little bit easier as well. And for the Chiefs, like just his skill set's perfect because, yeah, he can take on the double teams and he's very good at it and everything, but he also does have that good first step, especially for a guy that's 330, 340 pounds. So Steve Spagnuolo, you know, he likes his big nose tackles, but he doesn't want them just to get in that, you know, frog stance and just stand there and hold their ground. He does want them to insert themselves into a gap at times and just start to take some space. And that's something Coburn does great is he can get off the ball, get himself into an A gap, and then hold that ground, whether it is versus a single block or a double team. It's like that's where I really start to appreciate nose tackles that have the ability to anchor, have the ability to hold that against, you know, guys come trying to block them down or combo and climb up to the second level. But once you can have the ability to take that space from the offensive line, you can beat them to a spot that matters so much of that size. And that's why I think he was just kind of the perfect fit. And I think you saw some other nose tackles go earlier in the draft. And I know some Chiefs fans wanted some other guys, but Colbert always made a ton of sense for that reason. He's got the size and strength, but also that first step, they can get him into all these different spots. And Spagnuolo loves doing stuff like that. Plus, we've all seen the clips against Oklahoma of him, you know, running the loop. We've all seen the clips of him stunting around around the loop. You know, they, they like to run a few games there on the defensive line now. Okay, so one more. Pick 250 for the Kansas City Chiefs was Nick Jones, the quarterback out of Ball State. So, Galco, what endeared you to him and what got him invited to the Shrine Bowl, and how do you think he's going to fit the Chiefs? Yeah, he's a physical outside corner. Um, I think he's shown the ability at Ball State to be physical and press, to work off coverage, and I think really to finish downfield as a ball and ball skills. And he's a guy that's not afraid to take chances and is a very confident outside corner when he plays. And that sounds like it's a very obvious or small things, but I think sometimes outside perimeter guys, when they get beef, they lose confidence, they kind of lose that trust, and Nick is not that kind of guy. I think he's he's a corner that despite coming from a Mac school, maybe considered a smaller school, like he has the confidence to go against quicker, twitchier guys. At the Shrine Bowl, for example, he wanted to go against the best receivers he could all week long and want to challenge certain guys. And he has that great balance of being a, a great person, a great kid, and wants to get better, but also doesn't want to act like he's just from a ball state. He can't go against the big school guys and the big top players. So I think he's a guy that'll win a lot of reps in camp and I think by the end of camp he'll be a guy that wouldn't be surprised if he beats out one of the guys the seventh round picks from a year ago that played really well for the Chiefs just because he has that mentality and he's willing to take chances to learn it's almost like a quarterback like a gunslinging quarterback where he wants to be physical and be aggressive and be himself and if he makes a mistake that's okay he's not going to worry about it he'll just never do that again and that's where Nick Jones upside really comes from yeah and he's just 
he, one, he's still a relatively young player for being a four-year yeah. college collegiate player. So like that's we make a big deal about it sometimes uh, in the draft process, but it does also matter, especially when you're looking at guys that are maybe not coming from the pristine, you know, blue blood programs where you always have to wonder what kind of coaching is everybody going to get on a day-to-day basis and what's the situation going to be like. So now you go up to the NFL as a 21-year-old and you have the athletic profile and you have this length and you have this confidence about you. All that stuff can kind of come together and you have time to still develop both physically and mentally to come into his own. So it's a really good pick for the Chiefs. You see it there kind of coming in at the end of the draft. It's a guy they definitely wanted to make sure that they got earlier in the draft. They traded out entirely of this draft at a uh, fifth round pick because they just didn't see the value at that point in time where Nick Jones is somebody they really wanted to get to get that guy in the building. And he his profile kind of fits a lot of what the Chiefs have gone for on their outsides, their boundary corners over the years, the long arms, the ability to not just play one type of coverage on the outside. Like he kind of fits a lot of what uh, Spagnuolo likes. All right, so before we get out of here, uh, because the Chiefs had a great draft, uh, they also have an elite undrafted free agent group. <laughs> And you're uniquely positioned to talk about these guys. So yeah. I can we just get a one minute elevator? I'm gonna get like a one ish minute elevator pitch on all these guys real quick before we get out of here. And I will just well, I want to start with Daenerys Prince, but also yeah. if you listen to Brett Reach's press conference, he says he's a guy that can push for playing time and push for the roster. Like he's bringing up playing time before he's bringing the roster. Like it almost seemed a little Freudian. Like it feels like Daenerys Prince is probably gonna make this roster when it's all said and done. Uh, it feels like that's kind of how he felt too. They gave him a little bit of money too, for sure. Um, Daenerys Prince, one minute, one minute elevator pitch on why he's going to make this roster. I don't even laugh that long. I, I think he, he's the one guy from the Shrine Bowl. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah Pacheco played a year ago in the Shrine Bowl, and this year was Isaiah Pacheco was Daenerys Prince. And athletically, body type, they're the same. You look at their RAS scores, very similar. I think play style wise. Pacheco is maybe a little more nasty as a finisher. I think Daenerys has a bit more lateral juice than Pacheco, but you're nitpicking there. And I did that whole little blurb on my social on Twitter about, you know, the, like the one-line guys. He's a Pacheco-like running back. So he's a great fit, and I think Pacheco and he, McKinnon, maybe CEH, that feels like a running back room that you can have a lot of thunder and lightning with. Why did he go undrafted, do you think? Running backs. Um, not a whole lot of running backs drafted overall. I mean, we saw guys that were second-round picks go in the third round. Devin Kane went in the third round, right, I think, too. So yeah. just teams fell. Running backs and linebackers, uh, one of the lowest number of draft at that positions we've seen in a while. Okay, Isaiah Moore, linebacker at North Carolina State. Uh, I thought he was an exceptional uh, early down backer. Some questions yeah. about him in coverage. Also stunned that he didn't make this team. I mean, I'm sure or didn't didn't get drafted. I think he can make the team with special teams, and you know, I think he's a smart, high level communicator for for uh, North Carolina State and a really good early down defender. Yeah, again, don't because he went undrafted. Don't assume he's not a good player. This was uh, comfortably the lowest number of off ball linebackers draft in the last yeah. decade. I mean, comfortably, like yeah, by like five, the lowest minimum. So, guys went undrafted are not guys that are bad players. They just teams just didn't buy the position. But Isaiah Moore. Uh, comfortably, I would say he's one of the two or three best run defending linebackers in the draft. And I think the coverage stuff isn't great, but I don't think it's terrible. I think it definitely get better. But he is a green dot player, smart player, physical, well-built, elite run defender, both physicality-wise, tackling, vision, anticipation, getting off blocks, everything. I think he could be Nick Bolton's backup for a long time. My comp in the draft guide for him was Nick Bolton. Yeah, very like, similar. Like he's 
stylistic backup Nick Bolton. Yep. Stylistically. Is a team that's you know gotten not by but like they've played and they've dealt with guys that are really good run defenders and found ways to work around them in coverage or to you know use them well in coverage and not ask them to do too much. Like it's why it's one of those kind of perfect fits when you're looking at you know one of the better run defenders that's still kind of working on his coverage game. The Chiefs have had no issues finding a spot for guys like that. All right, Truman Jones, Harvard Edge, uh, still developing uh, edge rusher. He's a guy that played. A little bit of four eye, five tech for that Harvard defense. He was everything for the Harvard defense. I wouldn't say he called plays for them. He didn't, but he was by far their most important defensive player. He was an option slash pass rushing slash first line defense in the run game defensive lineman for Harvard. I've never seen him like that in my entire life where he had to make like all three decisions. Um, honestly, this is funny coming for a Harvard guy. Probably the biggest thing he has to work on is not trying to overthink his pass rush plan, which is funny coming out from Harvard, but like, He's so athletic and so talented, and I think he wants to be perfect sometimes. And once he kind of fixes that and just goes after the quarterback from an outside perspective, again, this is a guy that we've had a ton of conviction on for the Shrine Bowl from the get-go. I thought he was going to get drafted, but who knows? Maybe him and Nick Jones switch spots in a different universe, and he's the seventh-round pick and not Nick. But regardless, he's a guy I expect to make a team, and he's different from B.J. Thompson. So I think both those guys can make the roster and complement each other as kind of their backup edge rushers. It's funny watching Harvard's defense because, like, the first quarter, first half of a game, offenses, you know, just run the normal offense. And then you see as the game goes on, everything starts to go away from Truman Jones. They no longer run towards his side. They no longer try to, if he's lined up, you know, standing up as kind of like an overhang because they did that too because why not? They don't try to throw the ball out to that side. It's just, it's funny watching how the game plays out and how teams just actively have to avoid him. And it's not because anybody else is bad or anything like that he's just completely shutting down like half of an offense's game anytime they come his direction regardless of what it is all right so jerome carvin out of tennessee interior offensive lineman like he feels like a great candidate to be a swing interior player at some point here uh if he can stick around with the chiefs yeah he'll he'll snap as well he'll play center both guard spots he has super smart efficient mover I think he's a guy that you would love to be your, what, seventh offensive lineman, like in a perfect world, long-term. You got a guy like Juan, you're doing swing tackle. Carvin's your seventh guy. One more guy to be a specialist at guard, either guard spot or another tackle spot. But whether he's in the P-squad for a year or makes the roster, I think he's he's too smart, too efficient of a mover, and can play all three guard spots and center um, to not be a guy you want in your building for a long time. So he's a guy I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the P-squad to start the year, but by midseason, first injury, he's a the guy they call up because he can play a couple different spots for him. All right, let's Chief throw up. Building the Tennessee Volunteers offensive line again. Sorry. <laughs> Bringing the ball back. Hey, why not? Uh, Grand Valley State interior, oh, well, just offensive lineman Quentin Barrow. What do you think? Is he a yeah. practice squad candidate probably? Off the yeah, I think so. Yeah, he played tackle in college. He played tackle and guard at the Shrine Bowl. He's got a lot to get better at, but he's a big, physical, powerful tackle slash guard. He's got extremely strong hands. I think he gets off balance sometimes, but I think a lot of that comes from you know, not going against a lot of the competition at the D2 level as much as other guys have to. He went against Caleb Murphy and did a pretty good job. Another guy that was surprisingly undrafted guy. But I think Quentin Barrow himself, kind of the Shrine Bowl, saw like, hey, you know what? The tools are definitely there, the hand strength, the ability to kind of kick back inside. But And also he hasn't played guard a whole lot in his college career. So I think a good redshirt year on the practice squad, maybe a call-up late if you need him. But by year two, he's a guy that Carvin's your guard slash center. I think Barrow could develop into a guy that's a guard slash tackle down the road. Another guy that I just wanted to ask about, because I didn't get to watch much of him before kind of getting to the draft, but then here afterwards, after he's kind of been signed with the Chiefs here, is Nico Remigio. I know you guys had him down there, and 
I, yeah. I like it. I mean, there's there's a lot there to like. I'm very I am confused. We talked a lot about specialists getting drafted throughout this draft stuff and stuff like that. How did somebody not even just as purely as a returner, not even as a receiver, but just purely as a returner, I'm surprised he did not get a shot in the first seven rounds of the draft. Yeah, it's actually Ramihio. The G is a very soft, silent G. There you go, Ramihio. Um, believe me, I called him Ramihio for the first 14 times I talked to him, so not a big deal. But, um, but no, Nico's a guy that just got hurt about three days before coming to the Shrine Bowl. Um, was super bummed and super upset. And I'm like, already flight book. Why don't you come down here? At least interview with these NFL teams too. Um, it gets overset sometimes. He is such an amazing, genuine dude. Like he is all in about football and was so. Such a guy that the NFL teams love during the draft process. He was a dynamic receiver. He moves more like a running back in a lot of ways. Um, that's why he's such a good returner as well, too. But he's a guy that came to Fresno State, transferring from Cal. Jeff Tedford's a guy that, like, I got to have that guy. I don't. He, he told his uh, DPP at the time, he's like, I don't know how really the portal is going to work here or whatever, but, like, can we get that guy from Cal? Because that guy was awesome. And he got him there. And that year, right, Jake Hayner and Jalen – Moreno Cropper already a relationship and Ramijo comes in and is like their number one, number two receiver most games and their returner too. So I think he's a guy, I'm not sure if it's you guys on the depth chart better than I do if he's the guy that makes a roster, but whether he makes a roster or not, like he feels like a guy that could be the returner for a long time. Plus he can play the slot, plus he can play outside like he did at Fresno State this year too. So he feels like more of those that physical, more powerful slot, also returner too. And I think he, you know, I don't know if he's the best returner on their roster, but I'd be surprised if he wasn't one of the best 32 returners in the NFL this season. He feels like a guy that's going to come in and push maybe like a Richie James, who they just signed to a one-year deal for that a kind of a, a backup yeah. slot receiver returner role. And if and if not, hopefully they can keep him on the practice squad and he comes up into it next year into that role. Like that's what I saw. That's immediately what I thought. I was like, oh, this is like a Richie James type of player. And that's kind of the position he'd be pushing for, I think, on their depth chart. This UDFA class, what a crop. <laughs> That's been the final episode of the KCSN Draft Show. It's been so much to do this with Eric Galco. Eric, buddy, thank you so much for, for doing this with us. We've had so much fun uh, hanging out with you all draft season. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yep. All right, for me and Maddie Lane and Eric Galco, appreciate y'all. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN. Covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current. Plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou. By searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.